0: Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up on Front Row, inflation hits a 40-year high. We'll get the latest on redistricting. And does North Carolina have a teacher shortage? Next.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation. NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.
0: Welcome back, joining the conversation, Donna King, Editor in Chief of Carolina Journal political analyst Joe Stewart, Asher Hildebrand with the Sanford School of Public Policy, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor the North Carolina Speaker of the House. Nelson, why don't we begin with the high cost of inflation?
2: Yes, consumer price index rose in the last month 7.5%. Producer prices rose 9.7%. There are a number of factors that are driving inflation, short and long term, soaring money supplies, kicking in greater demand, um, the end of globalization. But if you look at it, Uh, America's economy was built on cheap and abundant energy. Right now, we're looking at gasoline prices that have have risen by 40%. Natural gas prices are up to heat our home. And a lot of this is based on government policy, both here and and abroad. We have a seven-year decline in oil and gas production, a decades-long decline in exploration worldwide. The Biden administration uh, is refusing now to lease Uh, federal lands for additional production. More restrictions,
0: more regulations. More
2: restrictions. They're enacting rules right now or trying to uh, that will drive up taxes and and fees. And obviously they've been in the process of stopping natural gas pipelines. So when the cost for energy and petrochemicals go up, that drives up food costs, the cost to power your vehicles, the cost to heat your home, and frankly the green technology uh, is just not there yet. It's not ready yet. 83% of world energy is produced by Uh, hydrocarbons, by fossil fuels. Uh, And unless we change our policy, we're going to see high energy costs and high food prices sustained for quite some
0: time. Joe, that's an interesting question. Is Biden's Green New Deal driving energy policy, economic policy?
3: Well, I think to some extent it is a very ambitious proposal, but perhaps as Nelson has pointed to, it's not going to cause any great change in the marketplace in terms of energy cost, at least in the short term. But I think, you know, perhaps the president sees he needs a starting point on the public policy that he hopes to pursue to try to convert the United States over to a different energy basis. But I think the challenge in the short term is we still are very energy dependent. And if you said suddenly we're going to produce energy in a wholly different way that doesn't create the the necessary amount we need, it's going to cause a even now, bigger problem. Do you problem. agree with
0: that analysis? I mean, cost of gas is way up.
4: Absolutely. And I think it's going to go even higher when we're seeing now, of course, uh, tragic crisis and warfare in Ukraine, we could look at seven, $7 a gallon. That's what some of these analysts are saying. But what this really does... It's like
0: $5.50 in California. It, it really, right now,
4: yeah. it, it's going to go higher. And who this really is hurting is the poorest among us, those who pay rent for housing and those who live in a little bit cheaper area. They have to commute in to work. Um, this is a right-now issue, and it does feel like, particularly when you look at things like the infrastructure plan for the Biden administration, a lot of this policy is being driven by, uh, by issues and projects left over from the Green New Deal. Um, but folks are worried about putting food on the table today.
0: Okay, let me ask you this, Asher. What does he need to do to write the ship, or does he need to right to ship to get the economy on the right footing?
5: I don't think Democrats do themselves any favors by ignoring the inflation that's happening or uh, by f- uh, failing to acknowledge the real pain that a lot of families are thinking. I think from President Biden on down, we could do more to, to acknowledge that pain and to talk about all the things he is doing. But... I also think that there's a lot of evidence that uh, this is not just a matter of companies passing along higher input prices to consumers. Corporate profits are at record highs. Well, let highs. me ask you this. Yeah.
0: Is the Biden Build Back Better program the answer? That's what Biden says. Most
5: economists say that the Biden Build Back Better program will not have much impact on inflation either way. They say that it, it helps replace some of the, the benefits that are expiring uh, and that that's not gonna be the issue. But, but I also think we have to look at what what some companies are doing Amazon's profits were at right, eight billion dollars in the fourth quarter last year and yet my Amazon Prime membership just went up, right? So Nelson, this isn't just about input prices. Yeah,
0: excuse me for interrupting Nelson, do we need to jump start uh, drilling right now and natural gas? We
2: do. We need to go back to particularly fracking. We have a tremendous resource and a tremendous capability in this country. We need to retool um, our refineries, and we need to give those energy producers the confidence that they can invest,
0: and those investments uh, are going to be honored long term. We need to move on. I'm going to get the latest on the general, not the general assembly, on redistricting from Asher.
5: Sure, and even by North Carolina standards, this has been a truly dramatic turn of events. I should acknowledge at the outset, I actually submitted a brief in the case that uh, just was decided. I'm not exactly a disinterested party, But I'll start by recapping the basic facts. Uh, So on February 2nd, the uh, state Supreme Court overturned the legislative and state uh, and and congressional maps on the grounds that they were unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders. Uh, Last week, the General Assembly approved uh, new remedial maps, including a, a bipartisan state house map, as well as state Senate and congressional maps approved on partisan lines. On Wednesday of this week, uh, the three-judge panel uh, appointed to hear that case uh, accepted the remedial state legislative maps but did not accept the congressional map and instead imposed uh, an interim congressional map drawn by three special masters. Now, this has been characterized as a split decision. I feel like that's fair you got a House map most people agree with, a Senate map that Democrats, including Governor Cooper, strongly criticized because it's still skewed disproportionately to Republicans. Then you've got a congressional map that Republicans are crying foul about. Uh, I'd probably
0: have to live with, right?
5: Well, it would still produce probably an 8-6 Republican majority in 2022, uh, but it's certainly fairer to Democrats than either the original map or the remedial map that they produced. They could still appeal it to the U.S. Supreme Court the state courts have have spoken. What's the likelihood their piece. of that, though? Really. Uh, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but I, I feel like it's still very possible. Uh, but the longer we get the filing started yesterday, there are candidates lining up to run in these districts. So the longer we get okay. uh, into the filing period, the less likely it becomes.
0: Joe, are the courts, the new power brokers in North Carolina?
3: Boy, they certainly play an important role these days in this and a lot of issues that are dispu- in effect disputes between the legislative and executive branch. The interesting thing about all of this to me is the actual implication on the 2022 election First of all, we have a highly compressed primary cycle now. With this being resolved, the register—I I mean, the uh, registration process for candidates reopened. It runs through March 4th. But the primary is May 17th. That's a very short period of time for candidates to turn around and campaign. The other part of this is right. as the legislature returns for the short session, whenever that is after the primary, legislators will want to get their business done quickly, in my opinion, so they can get home and run for re-election in districts where they may not know all of the voters because of redistricting.
0: Donna, talk to us about the congressional maps. What are the competitive races in the primaries now?
4: Well, now it seems like the only real competitive one would be this big slice of Wake County, Johnston County. Uh, for the most part, everything's been locked down and promised and and safer for, for Kathy Manning, for example, who was in sort of a swing district uh, in Guilford County. What about Cawthorne we have uh, an opponent so um, my guess would be that he'll move back to the 11th which right. uh, where uh, Senator Chuck Edwards is considering running uh, in that seat Chuck Edwards uh, Cawthorne brings in a war chest though you know he's raised a ton of money he's but Edwards has it. money
0: too right now so Edwards has oh, money as well
4: yeah he does he has money too um, Cawthorn has uh, about two and a half million that he's raised but he's also burning through it so cash on hand there. Probably close to similar. Um, I would expect that, but we, you know, we also see a lot more lockdown promised districts, which makes you wonder: Do we really want competitive? Do the do the people who are drawing it really want competitive swing districts, or do they want ones that are promised result? And that's something that is up for debate in many of these cases, uh, as we talk about partisan gerrymandering.
0: Wrap this up in about forty
2: seconds, Nelson. Well, Wednesday was simply unbelievable. I mean, this split the baby thing is, is completely irrational. That's not what courts are supposed to do. They're supposed to apply appropriate principles. This was simply a political decision that was made. They, we went from the most competitive congressional map probably in the country to now one of the least, probably the least competitive. So under the order in North Carolina, we're just like Maryland, New York, Illinois, California, where you're locked into the result. Okay. So clearly, Eric Holder, I guess, give him credit. His lawsuits and his efforts, he's gotten
0: what he wants. So everybody's not happy. Okay, let's talk about the. Uh teacher shortage, the potential teacher shortage jail in yeah, North no, Carolina.
3: Interestingly enough, under the statute, the Department of Public Instruction is required to report to the legislature on the status of teaching in North Carolina. The most recent report, it trails a little bit because of the assessments that are so comprehensive, but in 2019-2020 school year, we saw an attrition rate of about 7.5% of school teachers, slightly lower among longer tenured teachers, slightly higher among new teachers, but it was trending downward prior to the pandemic. School districts across the state are now saying, as a result, of covid-19 the stressing factors on the teaching profession the in and out of classroom in person versus remote masking issues the, the teachers curriculum. yeah the teachers feeling as though they're on the front lines of a debate between uh, parents on what would be the appropriate way and manner to return students to the classroom superintendents across the state say they feel like the attrition rate will be even more significant now. Shortage of substitute teachers and even bus drivers now. We'll see what the numbers look like. A lot of initiatives to try to address the comprehensive issue of what's the right way to compense people to make them stay in the classroom and become proficient teachers. Uh, Best NC an advocacy group has an initiative called NC Stride to put in place a comprehensive effort to recruit and retain teachers. There's a special house Select Committee looking at a complete revision of the way we manage public education in the state. It certainly is stressing COVID-19 on public educators as it has been for a lot of industries. But let's hope we get back on track toward a more comprehensive way to reform how public education is provided in North Carolina.
0: The Lieutenant Governor, Donna, wants more transparency, more accountability.
4: Yes, yes. That's been a big part of his platform as North Carolina's lieutenant, government, uh, lieutenant governor. Um, he has a task force that is working on that, particularly when it comes to curriculum and transparency. But I think what we're also seeing is that the policy of shutting down classrooms for an entire year was disastrous, not just academically, but for mental health and putting kids who were already in risky situations at higher risk. But what it really did also was completely collapse the trust between parents and communities and the educational system. And teachers ended up being the front facing uh, part of that. They were out on the pointy end. They had to answer those emails. They had to deal with the kids uh, in remote school. And there's a high level of stress for that. They're representing the entire educational bureaucracy to parents who are angry and mistrustful and losing their jobs because they can't take their kids to school. Uh, There is a lot going on. Teachers were right there on the front line. Meantime, they're hearing uh, the NCAE call learning loss a false construct. And they know it's not. They're professionals. They see what's happened to the students in their classroom. It would be very hard to maintain a passionate uh, a passionate commitment to being in that classroom after the two years they've had.
0: Nelson, uh, Governor vetoed the Smiles Act. Talk to us about that.
2: Well, he did. I mean, that's the initiative to get children out of the mask in schools. We we've, we've seen that um, uh, in. Uh, Europe and in other places to try to get the connection back I know Donna's going to be talking about learning loss and it, and it's all about that it's all about mental health it's about being able to effectively teach in the classroom and for those children to be able be able to learn and to interact socially not only with the teachers but also with each other because that's part of how you learn in a classroom setting and when that sort of thing is restricted um, when you, you can't socialize, you can't effectively learn as a child coming along, it has long-term impacts. Asher, way in here, my friend.
5: Think about a teacher who joined the profession a decade ago, which is exactly the teacher we need to be keeping in the classroom right now, right? First, they endured budget cuts. Then they endured a pandemic, asking them to do the impossible, either teaching remotely uh, or teaching in person and risking their health. And I agree with Donna that they were unfairly blamed for the the failures of our leadership, right, to reopen the schools. Now they're enduring attempts by politicians to police what they teach and to uh, weigh in on their curriculum when they're the trained professionals. I wouldn't blame a teacher who's thinking twice about the profession. I I think we need to invest more uh, in teacher training. I think we need to keep them in the classroom, and I think we need to keep politicians out of the way
2: also 2 years ago turned down a 5% raise and a $1000 bonus So their union has not been serving them well at all. They've been denigrating the profession, and that's also discouraging students from getting in the profession.
0: Okay, I want to stay on the teacher theme. I mean, on the uh, education theme. Talk to Donna about school children, elementary school children, or who are falling behind.
4: Sure. We've seen a lot of that recently in the last year, particularly for that that year in academics that was entirely remote. As teachers, of course, are now faced with bringing those kids back in the classroom during this school year. Find out where they are, catch them up. What they're really concerned about is that K through second grade. Uh, That group hasn't seen a normal school year yet. They have had to uh, try and learn remotely. And for anyone who has a kindergartner, you uh, you can only imagine how challenging that was. They're now trying to catch them up. Those uh, reading fluency in second and third graders, who is some of the group that we're talking about, is down about 30 percent compared to uh, 2019, before this all happened. And those kids who have spent their entire life in the pandemic, their entire academic life in the pandemic, are really losing out. It's whether they have time to catch up is what educational um, experts are trying to figure out. And how do we invest in that? How do we make sure that they're able to regroup some of those skills or are they gone for good? And that is a huge concern for parents, a huge concern for our school system. And we're seeing a mass exodus really of parents who are leaving, finding something alternative, teaching them at home, sending them to different kinds of uh, learning environments because they don't want their child to be that social experiment about how a pandemic uh, treats these children. With as much growth as North Carolina has had, our public school system enrollment is actually dropping.
0: Sure,
5: I'm a parent of public school children and so this is a personal issue for me, but I think I speak for a lot when I say if we had just prioritized as a society reopening schools with the same emphasis that we prioritize reopening businesses, in making the investments we needed in facilities and personnel and HVAC systems, all of the things, then there might be a lot less yelling about mask mandates right now and a lot more students learning. And in hindsight's twenty twenty, uh but I do think when we look back at this pandemic, this is going to be one of the things that really haunts us.
0: No, so that's lessons Great. learned, really. Uh, where, where was the NCAA on all this?
2: Well, they were demanding in many cases to continue lockdowns. To, and and it, it, this was a worldwide phenomenon. So governments across the world, particularly in Europe that I watch for a lot, uh, were battling with teachers unions over lockdowns and and uh, the ability to reopen schools. Now, most European countries opened them in that spring and summer of, of 2020, and they stayed open during the various COVID waves. International studies have shown that closures were perhaps the least effective way to actually address the pandemic. Finnish government, uh, they studied this. They came out and said, look, a children's right to education outweighs the risk uh, to going back to school. As Donna said, we have saw the results in North Carolina. Now the General Assembly and governments all over the world are having to pump money in for re- remediation programs. Right. Um, uh, uh, summer programs, all sorts of initiatives, to get kids back. Oh, Joe, right. put this in context.
3: Well, the interesting phenomena out of all of this maybe is how does it play out in the 2022 election? We remember just last year in the governor's Great race point. in Virginia, public education issues percolated up and were significant Parental in that rights contest. Rights is
0: perking up across the country.
3: Well, and I'm very curious now that the candidate filing period's open again. The people that are filing for local school board races, I mean, there's a threshold drug into politics many times of serving on a school board, and you get fired up as a parent as a result. Of some issues that you feel very poignantly for your own children. We may see this become a hot topic among candidates in all races in North Carolina in the fall just because it's so incredibly poignant and topical.
4: to
0: wrap this up in about 20 seconds.
4: Well, I think Joe makes an excellent point because the, none of this has escaped the attention of those who are interested in running for office, whether it's for school board or for president. I mean, that is what it is. And, you know, you have parents really knowing the names, the Facebook pages of their local school board uh, members, and that never happened before. They're tab- into their bonded insurance. I mean, this is a huge deal. And and we're, we're going to see more okay. of that going into 2022. Okay, coming
0: right back to you, what's the most underreported story of the week?
4: Okay, so one of the stories I really liked from this week, I didn't see in a lot of places, was back to education, of course, and rebuilding, trying to rebuild that trust between public education and parents. Uh, our state uh, DPI, uh, uh, superintendent of public instruction, Catherine Truitt, is forming a 48-member parent advisory council. It's going to pull from parents who are in traditional public schools or in charter schools, private, home school, to give them a voice and skin in the game to really help uh, be a voice at the table well, they that have they a haven't real authority. had before. Well, we'll find out. I mean, I think one of the things they're really doing there to do is be an advisor. Uh, The parents really haven't had a role before like this, and I think that that's a shame they haven't, but this is the time to do it, and I think that they are taking applications now at DPI's website.
3: Joe, underreported? Well, in uh, recognition of this week, uh, including President's Day, a little bit of the tidbits about the three presidents that North Carolina has given to our nation. Andrew Jackson killed a man in a duel. That would have made him (laughs) exceptional. But married his wife, Rachel, a little bit before she was actually divorced from her husband. (laughs) That's a little scandalous. Uh, James K. Polk served only one term, but by increased the size of the United States by a full third. His wife, Sarah, banned the use of alcohol in the White House, which is perhaps why Polk only served one term. <laughs> and then Andrew Johnson had no conventional pet while he was president of the United States, but he did keep a little family of mice, apparently, that he referred to as the little fellows.
5: <laughs> Underreported, Asher. Not the most illustrious roster, unfortunately, but <laughs> uh, we've heard a lot in the last couple of years about uh, QAnon conspiracy theorists uh, joining the ranks of Congress Congress and Tell Congressional Republicans. Tell people what QAnon is. QAnon is a, 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 what was once a fringe conspiracy theory, which may be more mainstream now. Uh, that contains a number of be- uh, of beliefs involving uh, pedophilia uh, and uh, Satan worship and other things. It's been debunked uh, a million times over, and yet, according to the New York Times this week, two teams of researchers uh, have identified the person likely to be Q is now running for Congress in Arizona, a man named Ron Watkins. Now, that's not actually the news. He's long, long been suspected of, of uh, being Q, um, but these two different teams have produced really compelling evidence that he's uh, lying when he denies it um, by comparing his text to the the messages posted by Q and this isn't just a story about smart scientists uh, you know uh, applying a creative technique to identify this you know th- these scientists really believe that if we can unmask the identity of Q uh, then maybe that'll help uh, diminish his appeal the FBI considers QAnon a terrorist threat and maybe it turns out if he's just a, another wannabe politician that it won't be that appealing
2: Nelson I'm glad I know nothing about that, okay? (laughs) That's a little, a lot of information. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so could uh, Russia's war on Ukraine have been avoided, and I believe the answer is yes in two ways, first, if the U.S. and Europe uh, had offered uh, Ukraine serious military support before the invasion, maybe 60,000 heavy forces in Poland and Romania, the establishment of a no-fly zone uh, over Ukraine, and then from a position of strength, address Russia's number one security concern, and that is rescinding the offer of future NATO membership uh, to Ukraine. And then jointly declare Ukraine as a, as a neutral country the way they did Austria during the Cold War. Instead, on December 8th, uh, President Biden announced no U.S. troops on the ground. And refused to give putin a public guarantee that nato would not expand east into ukraine and frankly at that point sadly all the talk about sanctions all the talk about standing up with the ukraine people was simply leading the
0: lamb to slaughter i will continue to follow that let's go to the lightning round who's up and who's down this week i want
4: to say up is the number of rebuttals to president biden's state of the union address actually is scheduled to go on March 1st. And a member of the squad, Michigan Democrat, uh, Representative T- uh, Rashida Tlaib will deliver Tlaib. the... Huh, yeah, Tlaib. I stumble over that every time. <laughs> Tlaib, thank you. She's going to de- uh, deliver the Working Families Party response to the State of the Union, really highlighting some of that split between the progressive wing of the party and some of what Biden has been able to get through. Uh, likely, I would expect some of those policies to be objecting to not being able to get some of them through. Uh, down, um, I'm going to say that uh, Canadian truckers, we've been really focused in recent years on China, some of the rights abuses there, right. and it's happening just over our border.
3: Joe? is up the prospects for tax cut at the local level with half a trillion dollars having been sent from Congress in COVID relief to local governments. Many are, lo- many are looking for the reduction in taxes as a result of this. And of course, we talked about inflation. This impacts the state as interest rates have to go up. The borrowing goes up State Treasurer Dale Falwell has an advisory committee to look at what the state's capacity to borrow is. But it does have an impact, all that additional money into our economy through tax cuts down. Viewership of the Olympics, NBC reported a 42 percent drop from four years prior. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that we shouldn't just have the Olympics maybe in some economic development opportunity for the city of Kinston or something like that. R-T-P. and Always have it there.
5: Hell- up, Go ahead. up democracy in North Carolina before we get too far along down the horse race of who's running and what district and whether it's going to the Supreme Court just take a moment to appreciate that our state's highest court has ruled that every North Carolinian has a right to political equality in the form of fair districts down democracy in the world. Uh, we've been in a democratic slump. We've known this for the last decade. Countries like Turkey, Brazil, uh, uh, Hungary, moving in towards authoritarianism. But this Russian invasion of Ukraine feels like the nail in the coffin for this era of democratic optimism.
2: Nelson. Uh, up, the Department of Homeland Security has reported that border encounters and enforcement actions are in pace to exceed uh, 2021's record year. Despite slight decrease in January, more disturbing law disturbingly, fentanyl seizures on the border are up 57%. Did you
0: see that the two biggest cartels are merging now? Yes, you know, business, corporate mergers in, <laughs> in northern Mexico. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's dangerous, and
2: the Mexican government is really not addressing it. Okay. Uh, down. Down. Trudeau's Liberal Party in Canada. Conservatives who recently elected a new uh, party leader, Candace Bergen, have now surged uh, in support over the Liberals. They're now leading them by eight points in the most recent polls. And Bergen has been rallying conservative to
0: support truckers' rights to protest. We have a truck uh, convoy coming in Raleigh?
4: Raleigh. On Friday, they're driving from Mebane uh, to the North Carolina capital. They are not part of the larger convoy that's going California to D.C., but I think we've seen a big, uh, they're going to have a big turnout. I'm looking forward to it. Headline? Uh, My headline next week is really President Joe Biden gives his second State of the Union address. He's going to have to face uh, some explanation for the increasing cost of living in North North Carolina and around the country, but I would also expect him to talk about the monumental infrastructure bill.
3: Headline quickly. Yes, the words Lieutenant Governor and Donna were used in front row, and speculation starts about a possible <laughs> run in 2024.
5: Headline next week. World confronts first truly global cyber war. Do you
0: think that the Russians are going to attack us cyber?
5: Oh, I think they're already.
0: Okay. Headline. Uh, Biden's choice for Supreme Court will win bipartisan support. Look forward to seeing that. I think Lindsey Graham is going to uh, support him and several other Republicans.
2: If it's Childs. Okay.
0: We got to run. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.